everyone. This is Katie Mora, and today we'll be mapping bloating on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Katie Mora. Katie Mora is both a registered dietitian and an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner. Katie is the founder of a virtual functional medicine practice called Gut Honest Truth, which is the quintessential blend of functional medicine and nutrition wellness. Katie focuses on getting to the root cause of chronic health issues with her clients, including autoimmune disease, irritable bowel syndrome, hormone imbalances, fatigue, food sensitivities, skin conditions, and more. Katie also has a podcast where she has interviewed some of the most prominent individuals in the field. You can find all the links to learn more about Katie and her work in the show notes. Hey, Katie, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. I'm excited to get into the why, the who, and the hows of bloating. But before we do, even though it seems obvious, can you explain what bloating actually is? Sure. I actually think there's a lot of confusion in terms for practitioners, especially in the way that our patients describe it. So sometimes Mm. we're led to believe it's bloating when it might not be what they're really trying to describe to us. So bloating is really any kind of, you know, abdominal distension going on as a gastrointestinal complaint, of course. And it usually has to do with trap gas, abdominal pressure, or the feeling of fullness. Generally speaking, I do think it results like as air is being confined somewhere and we can't release that air. And we often find that our patients talk about it post meals, if you will. But it's a really common complaint. And I do want to preface, I think at least the way that I address this with patients, it is normal to experience some bloating. And I think that we've been led to believe that bloating at any moment in time (laughs) means there's something really wrong with you. And I don't love that component. Yeah, that's such a good point, Katie. I I think we all experience, especially in the realm of nutrition, where our clients or patients get hyper-focused on how every single poop looks, when there is a little bit of variance, when they feel a little of this or that, as opposed to the kind of chronic concern or complaint. Absolutely. I love that you use the word chronic there because it is normal, right? You're going to have moments where stool isn't normal or bloating is happening or you're burping or you know belching more than often, right. depending on so many factors, which I'm sure we'll jump into. But it's the chronic exposure. It's affecting your day-to-day living. You're noticing it every day. You're noticing it even multiple times a week. That's when it's we need to dig a little bit deeper. And when we talk about trapped gas and abdominal pressure and that feeling of fullness, 
What does that usually look like to us on the outside? And what might it feel like to a patient who's experiencing this chronically? I'll jump on the patient one first. So for a patient, it can be all over the map, right? Like it can be from they are actually experiencing that sensation of needing to pass gas or belch or burp more often. You'll often hear like, I look, you know, six months pregnant and they're having that distension. Right. It's like, I wake up in the morning, my stomach's flat. By the end of the day, it's very distended. Some people experience it upon waking, which is a whole other slew of issues. They can experience this in so many ways, or it can just be, I have this pain or, you know, this gnawing pit a little bit in the stomach because things aren't moving or trapped where they are. As a patient, that can be really hard to like find the patterns often. Right. For a practitioner, it's all about asking the right questions, in my opinion, right? That's like a skill set within itself for providers is being able to identify. Because often you'll hear, right, a patient say like, I'm bloated, but they're actually just talking about maybe a hormonal imbalance causing weight gain to the belly. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. really making them dive into their words and articulate a little bit more, if you will. So that can look like so many things. And I think for a provider, it is all about asking the right questions. And once you ask those questions and they answer, diving even deeper in. Yeah, I love that. And tracking, right? So we can see like, when does it happen? Get more into the nitty gritty. So that becomes really important. So let's dive into the why of it. And I, I know you identified or have identified six different kind of umbrella reasons why there might be bloating and maybe there's even more, but can you help us to understand those? And I will say that I know you're going to go into things that we have other podcasts on. So luckily we don't have to dive in there and we'll link those in the show notes, but let's talk about those six different areas. Yeah. So there's obviously many other factors, but these are the six you'll probably see most commonly with your patients. And usually where there's one, there's more than one culprit here. So the very first one is stress. It's something that is really hard to hear and accept as a patient, and it's actually very hard, mm. in my opinion, to deliver as a practitioner because it sounds so cliche, and <laughs> you're just like, I know I'm stressed, but what's the issue? And you're like, well, right, just simply speaking, the whole fight-or-flight response chronically is going to affect how well kind of that blood flow and energy goes to your gut in times of stress. And our bodies just haven't evolved enough over time to really differentiate, you know, a lion mauling our face off, you know, back in the Paleolithic age to us getting into a fight with our spouse right when we're about to have dinner. We can't perceive stress, physical stress, emotional stress. That patient cannot differentiate what those are, and it's going to take a hit every time on the gut. You don't need your gut and digestion to be working in a time where you need to fight or flight for your life. It's always something that I think in every condition, especially gut health, needs to be addressed in some capacity. Whether that's looking at something like a Dutch test and you know, looking at their actual cortisol patterns or just asking the questions again. Yeah, it's such a good point, Katie, because I think that helping our patients to understand rest and digest versus fight or flight really brings it to the core, right? Like your body can't rest and digest if you're in fight or flight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So stress, number one. Yeah. So that's always something, right, that is like that low-hanging fruit, hardest to fix, but something you can always bring up with your client. So that's a big one. And then I would probably say after stress, I always think about insufficient digestive output. And what I'm referring to there is the overarching concept of low stomach acid, low digestive enzyme and pancreatic function, as well as low bile production or, you know, removal of gallbladders, all of that. So I sort of umbrella that. And as you know, right, that gets affected by 
other things we're going to talk about that gets affected by your hormones, by overgrowth, by stress, by aging, by medication. So just not chewing well enough. So there's similarly a lot of like low hanging fruit you can deal with with your clients there, but you can also dive much, much deeper based on asking the right questions about when that bloating is happening around meals, right? Like if it's within 30 minutes, think stomach acid. If it's within a few hours, think about enzymes, bile, possibly SIBO. You know, obviously which foods are triggering bloating? Is it fat? Let's think about maybe it's bile reflux or fat malabsorption. What is the trigger? So being a detective for your patients and asking the right questions can really get you pretty far. I love what you're talking about, Katie. And I know we're going to get to these other factors, but I think all too often, and particularly in functional medicine, because it's sexy to rely on the testing, we jump to the diagnostics or the testing that we think are going to reveal something. And what you're talking about is a therapeutic partnership, which is also a pillar of a functional practice where we're being detectives, we're asking the right question, we're clearing the muddy water, as I like to say, and really looking at, are there factors that can actually save you money if we look at them through the partnership versus the testing alone? Absolutely. And like, think about the big picture of just even talking those two things of the output of digestion as well as the stress. And if those things aren't addressed and we're just relying on testing and seeing, okay, they have H. pylori, they have SIBO, it's going to just keep happening. If you cannot address those root cause issues of the other root cause issues, it's just going to be a cyclical thing that's like you partially solve and heal your patient. But then, you know, three months later, two years later, they come back with the same problem. thousand percent. I couldn't agree more. So when we think about those two things, stress, being in that fight or flight, insufficient output, which is a big deal. That's not a one and done. You talked about three primary areas we need to be looking at. Stomach acid, huge issue for Americans, enzyme production, and also bile production. Those are big things to be looking at right there before we even go any further. But let's talk about the hormones. How can the hormones and how does that fall into your area of addressing bloating? Yeah. So when we're talking hormones, right, we throw out hormones a lot because there's a bunch of them. Uh, so we're, <laughs> we're looking at like the triad, right, of that fight or flight, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine response. We're also looking at thyroid function as a whole. And then we're looking at sex hormones because all of them, right, they're either – I think of them like children on a teeter-totter and they're either like playing fairly or not fairly together on the playground. And so they're either communicating or they're not, right? If there's either a break in that communication and testing can be really helpful here because I do think hormones are a little tricky yes. at times that you might think something's high when it's low or it's another hormone, especially as you're maybe newer in the field and treating hormones because they're very complicated. But – For starters, like thyroid, probably the biggest thing and most common you'll see in your practice is hypothyroidism of varying degrees. We don't need to get into all the labs unless you want. But looking at that, right, everything's going to get low and slow. You're going to produce less stomach acid. You're going to produce less enzymes. You're going to deal with constipation. Over 50% of hypothyroid patients struggle with SIBO or CFO. And it's really chicken to the egg on fixing that, as well as like influence of medications on SIBO with thyroid function. So the thyroid as a whole always needs to be looked at and bloating because if everything is low and slow, you're going to develop all those other issues we keep talking about, like the bacterial overgrowth, the fungal overgrowth, even food sensitivities. But the real issue might be the low and slow function of everything due to the thyroid. And then I would just say the last thing to mention on would be those sex hormones. So 
of course, this would be, if your patient is talking about very cyclical things, right? They're like, oh, every like happens every two weeks and maybe they don't know. And that's where you need to dive in the right questioning again is, you know, they're like, oh, it's always right before my period starts or it's mid cycle. I'm getting a ton of cramping and bloating and diarrhea or constipation. That's where you need to think maybe their bloating and discomfort is actually coming from hormonal imbalances versus a food or a stressor. And maybe it's all of the above. Right. I know it could be the whole constellation. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we talked about stress, insufficient output, which had three areas underneath it, the thyroid, the sex hormones. You've mentioned the other two. Let's go into food sensitivities and I'm assuming possibly even intolerances as well. Yeah. So it can go two ways, right? So you can have a true intolerance or sensitivity, something within food, basically, let's just kind of minimize what we're dealing with here, like something in food or a food itself that is actually causing your bloating, your distension, your IBS, whatever it is, it can be the number one and sole culprit, right? Or an ingredient within, you know, meaning like pesticides or something within a food. But it's also, I would say more times than not in clinical practice, the food reactions are a bigger picture and a bigger sign that something is more imbalanced within the gut. Some of the stuff we were just talking about. So if you can correct somebody's digestive output and that the mannerisms that they're going into eating a food like very calmly and chewing well and <laughs> taking a few deep breaths and all of that, you can often minimize, right? You have to think of it like mouth to anus. When somebody eats a meal, yes. they're chewing, probably not well. Large food proteins are making it past that low stomach acid issue we just talked about into their small intestine and to their large intestine and form that it shouldn't be, which is a breeding ground for bacteria, yeast, parasites, all of the above. And it feeds on it, causing the byproduct of gas and bloating. So you really have to think about it top down, in my opinion. The side effect kind of is what I'm getting to is the food we always demonize, in my opinion, yes. and especially patients, right? And whether that's through social media or whatever is influencing that, we come in and we're like, oh, I can't eat this, this, this. And we just get more food fear, more restriction when maybe if we correct the gut health and the stress health, we won't have these food sensitivities. Yep. Brilliantly said. Couldn't agree more. So now we get into the, what I like to call a tier three issue, which is an actual diagnosis and SIBO and CIFO. First of all, I'll let you talk about what those are, but these can be complicated issues to resolve and also an underlying reason for bloating, which hopefully we're addressing the other things as well, or before we even get there, depending on the case. But tell us what these are. Yeah. So when we're talking about the microbiome of the gut, there can be confusion. So if somebody especially is relatively new into gut health, we have to look at the whole picture, which includes, I mean, we can go, you know, brain down, but let's just talk like stomach, small intestine and large intestine. Yep. So, and we have testing for all of the above or different symptoms to look at, even when it comes to bloating for those. But stomach, we're thinking more about the stomach acid output as well as H. pylori infection, so Helicobacter pylori, which I see it's very common, right? It's a bacterial infection in at least 50% of the population worldwide. I treat it every day. So I find more and more as I practice, this is a root cause for a lot of people, and it's often overlooked. And we think it's very benign, but when we can get those levels down or even 
remove the H. pylori as a whole, everything starts to digest better and things like SIBO are more easily treated, CIFO is more easily treated, parasites. So we have to look at, right, if somebody is having bloating or poor digestion within like a 30, 15 minute period after eating especially high protein meals, you want to think about H. pylori and stomach acid and testing that. And then as you kind of move down, you're looking at your small intestine, which is where you mentioned SIBO and CIFO. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or small intestinal fungal overgrowth. You can have both, right? Like all these things can (laughs) feed each other. Yeah. There is actually no test for CIFO at this moment. The best thing is to either ask the right questions and get that assumed diagnosis or like a scope could potentially identify this, but it's a bit invasive and probably not going to be in your toolkit right now for most people. But you can test SIBO, right? We have like multiple ways of doing breath tests at home or in clinic where you can test hydrogen levels, methane levels, and hydrogen sulfide, which is just the gas production that the specific bacteria will produce when they feed on whatever food or, you know, formula situation you're giving them. So this is really a a thing that people need to get familiarized with. More and more, I think, is going to come out about SIBO or There's now the term IMO, which is looking at, you know, intestinal methane overgrowth as a whole. And this is where 60 to 80% of your IBS or bloating cases are going to fall. To me, SIBO and SIFO are just a symptom of bigger issues. They are in Mm -hmm. diagnosis, of course, similar to like a leaky gut thing, but it's a bigger issue, right? There's more going on. All those other things we just talked about are a problem, right? You're only developing this as a side effect of the other things. So you need to dive into all the other, like the digestive output, the motility, all of that, the food choices, everything, antibiotic use, medication use. And I also, in my practice, firmly believe you cannot diagnose SIBO or CIFO from a stool test. Those are two different organs, and that's just the way I drive in practice. But I want to look at a breath test for this. I do not want to look at a stool test and assume anything. Yeah, I love how we're talking about one symptom, right? One symptom, bloating. And it could be a sign that we could see in practice in our evaluations, but it's a symptom, something that a patient is feeling or experiencing. And then we're able to really look at the matrix of situations, triggers, antecedents, mediators that impact the full body systems. And can lead to this one symptom. And what I love about that, Katie, is it allows us to think in the matrix, right? We tend to think in our healthcare system very linearly. Here's this, here's the X for the Y. And we're having a conversation that reminds people, wait a minute, everything is connected. We're all unique. And all the things we do actually matter. It's such a good tool. And you can look at it and it's like, Everything we're talking about right now just falls into one of the, you know, nodes of the matrix or even just when we keep saying low-hanging fruit, but it falls into like, how are they sleeping? How are they moving? Exactly. Food, stress, right? Their relationships, like I just said, like fighting with your spouse, fighting with your boss. That just there, lifestyle-wise, is five overarching themes that could affect bloating, not even talking about diagnoses. Exactly. And I love that. So before I let you go, Katie, there were so many clinical pearls in this conversation, but are there any things that we can be thinking about to introduce or exit (laughs) from our client or patient's diets or lifestyle that we didn't address? I would say one thing that just over the years as both, you know, a certified functional medicine provider and dietitian is 
that I want people to be cautious with the way they approach food with people in this situation, because I do think that a lot of people, especially who aren't maybe nutritionists or dietitians in training, cause a lot of food fear and maybe not intentionally, but you know, it's a delicate balance of not saying all of these foods, right? Like could be causing your problem. It's okay to, you know, with the right people use elimination diets and stuff to uncover this. But I think doing a delicate walk around food and actually trying to work on incorporating more balance versus pulling. And working, honestly, working on like sleep and just getting people going to the bathroom is like (laughs) just working on the the silly things of like, chew better. How are you sleeping? Can we improve that? And like working on the ergonomics and the, you know, bowel retraining of going to the bathroom because if it's as simple as balance of diet, balance of perceived stress and not pooping, right? There's a lot you can fix for people before throwing a hundred supplements and test at them. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I always say that the non-negotiables aren't eliminating this food and that. The non-negotiables are sleep, poop, and blood sugar balance. Yeah. We could do like a 10 series on this, this time. Yes. (laughs) It's great. But yeah, I do want people, right? Like testing is amazing. If you have somebody who can afford it and has those means and it would actually very much like they've been seeing a lot of people and they're there for you for that second or third opinion, test, right? Test, don't guess, figure it out. And it can be very powerful in getting the right products, the right nutrition that you need. But if they're just coming to you and taking this on for the first time, walk through the, you know, their story, which tells you those antecedents, those triggers, those mediators, where is the places and the best nodes you can come in on that matrix to make somebody have that buy-in and feel better right away that you can then gain their trust, make them feel well, and then you can work on that like lifestyle forever that will work for them best. Yeah, so well said. And I have to say that even those people who are seeing the many functional medicine doctors may not be doing some of that baseline work because nutrition and lifestyle change is not a handout. And so they may be jumping ahead to the testing and the diagnoses and leaving behind some of the important things we're talking about. Katie, I could talk to you all day long. I think we're just jiving on the like, yeah, there's this missing piece in healthcare. Thank you so much for addressing such an important topic through such a multifaceted lens. Thank you. This was great. And I hope anyone can get any, you know, clinical pearl from this and take it and and help every patient they can. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. 
And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.